This is an alternative universe. See, there aren't any textbooks that teach about these principles. It's dangerous if the government gets in the business of propaganda. We need journalistic integrity now more than ever. Warning, you're listening to the Agenda 31 podcast with Corey Ive and Todd McGreevy. The thing, remember, names are for things. That is why the United States respects the sovereignty of the British people and their right of self-determination. For good reasons, we don't want the government to be the lead on that. Due to the unique division of political authority in the United States, U.S. citizens are residents in every state and should not attempt to copy the strategies employed by the hosts of the Agenda 31 broadcast without first consulting legal counsel. Do you have a license for this? Uh, motivation. What's, uh, what, what, what is my motivation? Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not okay with slavery, just so we're clear. As a U.S. citizen, you, you just don't own anything. You're just a, a user, and the government owns everything. And the assumption is everybody's a U.S. citizen. You know, you're going to have to shut up or I'm going to have you arrested. First, I need to make sure Nicole is safe, so I need you to protect her. Right. So go ask your government. I can't. Why not? Because someone in the government's working with the terrorists. You, you can't make this up. You, you have to be here to see this kind of stuff. It's, it's, this is what's being allowed because the people are allowing it. They're not standing up. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Agenda 31. And I just got Corey just dropped the call right when we started the show. This is Todd McGreevy, everybody. You're listening to Agenda 31. This is episode 127 of Agenda 31. We're doing this live to tape Sunday morning, April 9th, 2017. I'm being joined by... Corey Ibe. Greetings, Todd. In the morning to you, Corey. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, to Agenda 31. You're listening to the lowest risk, highest reward podcast in the universe that is advertiser unfriendly. And, Corey, I got an email this morning from uh, show supporter Paul down in Florida. He sent me a document from the International Monetary Fund, a working paper, no less called the macroeconomics of decaching. Have you heard of the term decaching? I have heard of that term. I had not heard of this yet until he sent me this. Uh, this is, uh, I think that the uh, opening uh, segment of this thing is, is worth uh, the abstract, if you will, the introduction. Decaching is defined as the gradual phasing out of currency from circulation and its replacement with convertible deposits. Convertible deposits. This initiative does not in any way target the abolition of money as an institution, but is rather a sweeping reduction of the role of currency, its cash component, in favor of transferable deposits, its non-cash component. The monetary authorities in many countries have already taken steps toward decashing. These steps include abolishing large denomination bills, imposing ceilings on cash transactions, introducing declaration requirements on the carriage of cash in and out of the country, reporting requirements for cash payments exceeding a specified amount and even taxing cash transactions oh yeah sounds wonderful doesn't it it uh, no it does not actually and <laughs> right. i i am i'm taken aback by uh the the statement uh i uh declaration requirements on the carriage of cash in and out of the country which 
I think already exists to a degree, meaning if you're going to travel, I mean, if you're going to go into Canada and you're carrying a thousand dollars with you because you want to go to a casino, I don't know, or because you want to buy some uh, pelts, uh, do you got to declare it? I don't know. I've never gone into Canada before. Well, that, I mean, I, as far as moving cash across an international border, like up to Canada, I, I think that's a little bit different thing. I can understand, uh, not support, but I can understand governments having an interest in. Uh, is it's being taken across the border? How about where you're not taking the cash across any international border? That you're just using cash to go pay for something, cash that you legitimately earned um, or that is legitimately yours. It's not by ill-gotten gain. But strictly the amount of cash is what becomes suspicious. And uh, that that happened, I, I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the show. There was a, a gentleman who sold a liquor store and he pulled all of his cash out to go buy another liquor store. In his culture, cash is king. That's how they pay for everything. Uh, he, he was never charged with any type of criminal activity or anything, but purely because banks are required to report to law enforcement, uh, large transactions that exceed a certain amount. I believe it's $4,000. I'm going off the top of my head here, but basically the bank said, Hey, this guy just pulled out a whole bunch of money and we're required to report it to you as being suspicious. He gets pulled over and they confiscate his cash. And because? Because he had a whole bunch of cash. Just having cash was suspicious. And that the idea is, well, mo- people don't need that much cash, and it's unusual to do a cash <laughs> transaction. There, there you go. There's the, the discretionary uh, uh, cloak of benevolence that, that we uh, rail against on the show at Agenda 31. Uh, the, the, uh, the concept that, that GovCo knows what people do and don't need. Right, right. And what's normal and not normal, and 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 how 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 people should be treated accordingly, whether or not they're acting what what a third party or a separate individual deems normal. Nobody was injured. There was no harm by holding these pieces of paper in your possession. No, and he has a complete paper trail to show where the paper came from. But he had to fight to get it all back. He didn't get it all back. He ended up having to use his own money for an attorney. He had to sign papers that said he wasn't going to sue, and he ended up netting like 120 grand back, something like that. Out of what? 150. Oh my gosh. Plus you know, he had to pay his own attorney's costs. You know, Corey, if you if you really are uh, up to no, if you're up to if you have nothing to hide, then you should have no problem with these these measures. Right. Don't you love it when people say, "Oh, I got nothing to hide." This I'll, I'll I'll try and remember to post this document. It's it's called IMF decaching paper. It's out there. I'm sure you can find it, but I'll try and put it on the on the show blog. But number six of the abstract says cash remains popular for technical and symbolic reasons. Technically, cash is seen as a simple, safe, and private medium of payment. Cash helps control spending and plan a budget. Cash can be used to pay anonymously and directly without any sophisticated technical infrastructure, even without electricity, and is largely seen as irreplaceable in emergency situations. Cash has been created as the historically most convenient form of money, and carrying cash in the wallet is often perceived as a fundamental human right. On the international scale, common money has often been seen as the most discernible sign of integration, in particular in the Eurozone or CFA zones in Africa. I love the terms... uh, 
private in here. Um, is that what they said? Uh, yeah, it could be anonymously. That's the word. Yeah, anonymous, could be used to pay. Yeah. You know, that's 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 what the cloak of benevolence doesn't want. They don't want any anonymity in behavior or transactions. They want to track it all, baby, all of it. Absolutely, every single bit. Uh, I did not hear any feedback on the interwebs, on the Facebook, uh, anywhere regarding our our Nevada challenge. Is the Constitution banned from the Nevada courthouse in Las Vegas, the federal courthouse? I, I don't know. I haven't. We haven't. According to John Lamb, it is. Have you got any corroboration on that? I I haven't. I did get a message on <clears throat> on Facebook um, from Joshua that. Uh, there was somebody who was going to uh, verify that. He knows the gentleman that made the claim. He knows him personally. Okay. And says that, you know, he in fact does say that, that that's exactly what happened. Um, but as far as duplicating that, I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's important to duplicate it because from my anecdotal personal experience, the marshals at the federal courts now just kind of treat it like it's their own personal playground that they can just do and say whatever they want. With me trying to get into the federal courts, uh, I've gotten so many different, completely different, where they're all just lying. Everybody is simply lying, making it up as they go, reasons why you can be denied entry into the court unless you have an ID that they say the marshal service says is okay. So one of them said it's law. And I asked what law, and they couldn't tell me. Another judge's order, right? That a judge's order said you have to show ID. And I asked for a copy of the order. They didn't produce one. Another one said that it's been the law forever. Like, you've always had to show ID. And, you know, that that begs the, uh, the question, like, well, okay, what did they do before the government was issuing IDs? You know, what, what What did the courts do? Oh, yeah. Uh, and and so, yeah, they, they just make it up. They have no problem lying. They feel like, hey, if it's, you know, it's my house. If, if I want to create a rule on the fly that says you have to show ID to get into my house, I have that kind of authority to do that, but only for my house. The marshals believe that the federal courts are their house, that, you know, they're the ones in charge, that they're the ones who own control and, uh, and, and have the absolute plenary authority to decide who gets to access the courts and who doesn't. Well, I, it's, uh, I'm, I'm searching for uh, something here, Corey. I apologize. I'm, uh, doing too much, uh, uh production on the fly. Uh, no worries. We, well, along, along those lines, think about what that means, being able to charge, Shoot ID in order to get into court. Be able to charge what? Out? Be able to charge what? Uh, for the the federal courts, for the marshals to be able to decide who can access the federal courts and who can't based on government issued ID. Yeah, and we've talked right? about this, and the finer point being that, well, if you don't have an ID, how can you bring a matter before the court? Well, you file. You claim who you are, and if you are not who you claim you are, then there's all kinds of penalties for fraud. Exactly. Now, let's look at what kind of power it gives them to be able to demand that ID. 
let's say you have a case that you decide or that you're going to take on the government. You're going to make some sort of claim that the government does not like. You know, you're an adversary to the government. Uh, can, is it very difficult to uh, to think of a way where the government might just confiscate your ID, maybe pull you over before you get to court, confiscate your ID on a on a day where if you miss that court date, your whole case falls apart? I don't know. I wouldn't put it past them. Well, it I've had to bear, my driver's license taken before. Yeah, it brings to bear that that the ID is government property. Exactly. What government it is issues, government, government can revoke. And the government has no obligation to issue a passport. Yeah. And uh, in fact, Luis Silvestri, who uh, you know is uh, in North Hollywood, he um, uh, applied for a passport. Many, many months ago, paid the extra fees to have it expedited and everything. And as of this date, they still have not issued a passport. They don't tell them that it's been denied. They just haven't issued it. And they say it's in over a year now. They, 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 uh, they say it's denied in what, over a year now? Well, they, they're saying that it's not denied. What they're saying is that his passport is in processing. So he's in a position right now where he can't apply for another passport. They have not issued the passport that he applied for. And so he has no passport. He has no way of accessing the, uh, the federal courts. And who, who's this? Uh, Luis. Luis oh, in North Hollywood. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that, so, it's his friend Gabriela who had the... the Issue in, uh, what's the name of that town? Um, uh, in Downey. Downey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The issue where I observed a judge behave abhorrently and violate her rights and uh, and all sorts of things where I filed a complaint with the California uh, Judicial Commission, who they claim they're the only authority over judges. We played a copy of the audio when they called me to try and uh, manipulate the situation. But as of today... Even though they say absolutely every complaint that you that is filed, you get a letter from an attorney explaining what happened. Uh, they usually have them completed within three months. It's been six or seven months now, I think. No answer. The only thing that I've gotten from them was a letter saying you will get a letter. <laughs> wow. Well, and, what, what, uh, what's happening with Gabrielle? Any any updates on on the Downey deal? I, I don't have any updates as of like the last 30 days, but the last update I got was that uh, her scumbag attorney who just says, oh, you have to have me and, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're doing this because we want to make sure everybody's rights are protected as far as not allowing her to, well, I won't go into it all. Anyway, it, it was basically just been put off over and over again and nothing had happened. And it's just been in a holding pattern while the attorney tries to figure out what to do. And the entire time, they're just pressuring her to plead guilty. Do they still want her to sign a Feretta waiver? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And she is not signed. She's not signed one. The attorney said that the reason why they have you sign, sign the Feretta waiver is, yeah, we're having problems with the Skype. Don't know what that is. It's bumming me out. And the, the attorneys think is just, it's, it, it's insulting. It really Corey, is. I apologize. You're cutting out again, man. It was, that was for about 10 seconds instead of five. So what, what was the right. reasoning, uh, that, uh, 
they, they wanted to sign the Ferretta again? Well, based on the Ferretta case, because she brought up the Ferretta case to the attorney and said, look, I don't want an attorney. He got another case because he didn't want an attorney. And the, um, uh, the attorney said that the reason why they have you sign the waiver is so that it never happens again that somebody who doesn't want an attorney has an attorney. So it never happens again that somebody right. who doesn't want... So you sign the Feretta waiver so you don't have to have an attorney. Well, that's what they want. They want you to sign... Basically, they want you to sign a waiver that says, we're not going to treat you like an accused. We're going to treat you like an attorney, right? right. And you have to sign this waiver that says, okay, you can treat me like an attorney. Th there are no constitutional rights for an attorney, right? They're, they're, the Constitution wasn't formed or f the framers didn't draw up or draft the constitution to protect attorneys. In fact, there was quite disdain for attorneys. So what they make you do is they make you sign a Feretta waiver that says, okay, you can treat me like an attorney. Which <clears> means you become a second class citizen. Exactly. You become a second class citizen. You become the lowest class of attorney that nobody wants because you're pro se. Right. All of that when you As know, opposed the, the, to just being your own counsel and, and standing upright and being your own representation. And being, and being treated like an accused. Yeah. And yeah. and the thing is, attorneys believe this shit. They believe it. The, their, their brains have been absolutely molded and destroyed by... They've been wired. Yeah. They look at this stuff, and to them, that's completely reasonable. Oh, of course, we got to treat you like an attorney. Yeah. Either that or they, you know, I hate to say that they're just evil and should all be on the same plane together. Um, but because I have met attorneys who are nice people when you say nice people, but their brains don't work anymore. They're incapable. Well, in, in fairness, though, I mean, and we're going to get into this, this guy uh, who's emailed us that I teased on the e-blast I sent out, uh, uh, would-be author Colin, we'll call his name, Colin, C-O-L-I-N, uh, He's asserting that we're just, you know, in this for, uh, uh, in the for the money and and trying right. to trying to and you listeners who are listening now are gullible, according to Colin. And, and well, Colin's the one that that put in a fake donation of three dollars and thirty one cents to access the copy for uh, uh, the filing for the Supreme Court that was rejected. Okay, and then immediately canceled it, so he got access and then canceled his donation. Oh God! Right. Couldn't even spiff for three dollars, huh? Three thirty-one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason I'm bringing this up right now is it, he reminded me of, you know, his his macro approach uh, to to what we're up to is that we're just full of it and that we have nothing to back it up and we're just trying to uh, uh, we're not evaluating evidence. We're, we're making evidence fit our theory. Right. And and we've been up front that this that our approach of averring Article Four citizenship has yet to be proven, has yet to be given a, a th uh, seal of approval in the so-called court system, and it's and it's uh, in modern times, in right? Mo in modern times, exactly. And uh, but I I recall a meeting I had, uh, uh, not a meeting, a, a a chance encounter with a uh, former college. Uh, uh, student of mine. I, I played soccer with him. All right. He was the captain right. of the soccer team. I was, I was a freshman. He was a senior. I ran into him, uh, you know, 15 years later, um, at a, at a function at my alma mater. And he was a judge, uh, in, in, uh, in Missouri, one of the district courts, very astute guy, 
Super friendly. We started chatting. Uh-huh. I gave him the rundown of what you and I are dealing with, with the, the nuance between state citizenship and federal citizenship, and how the 14th Amendment does not uh, actually protect uh, the people from having their rights violated by the federal government, only protects their rights from being violated by the several states. And he looked at me without even blinking an eye and said, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, it makes a lot of sense. He says, you're going to have a hard time getting it uh, uh, recognized in the courts, but it's, it, it, it's sound. So, right. I mean, he's an attorney. He's a judge. And and I had enough of a rapport, and he had enough, you know, whatever you want to call it, to to be real with me, if you will, in that moment, and acknowledged, yes, this is this is legit. Now I'm not, we're not banking everything I heard, you know, at a at a at a alumni meeting, you know, but it, it gave me some uh, confidence that, gee, we're going down the right path here. And when we get these type of inbounds from uh, detractors. You know, it's it's a it's a good gut check. It doesn't hurt. This guy's put a lot of time and energy into uh, coming at us, if you will. And uh, he's diplomatic and friendly. He's not ad hominem, you know. Uh, but you know what he did say his his latest entree. And just just for context, he's purportedly writing a book, and 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 the book is about I don't know. It's it's about why people can't uh, conspiracy theorists, if you will, and people who have. Uh, who just can't go with the mainstream is, is the gist I can get out of this. And I think there's a focus on on sovereign citizens. And, and we've been upfront in, in writing to this guy that, you know, do not call us sovereign citizens. Do not call our effort promoting sovereign citizens. And, um, uh, and, and he wants to do an interview. And we're just like, you know, we put enough content out on this podcast. Quote what we say on the podcast. Quote what we say on the, on the website. You know, we're not, I'm not, I'm not, I know enough about how uh, so-called journalists can twist interviews um so well, and and a little a little more uh context of this you remember i i've talked to not in a while but i've talked about my participation in a group online called no driver's license it was a yahoo group yep and the whole point of the group was to um to learn how to travel without a driver's license so that was one of the first online groups that i got involved with i got kicked out of the group because I had no driver's license, right? That, that, I mean, that, that's why I got kicked out of the group. Because you claimed I, you had no driver's license. Yeah, yeah. There's claimed, no proof. I had this no driver's license. I provided copies of the letter from the DMV where the driver's license was destroyed and the account closed. And, uh, and that my basis for getting rid of my driver's license is that I've averred Article 4 citizenship in California. <clears throat> and the... The uh, reply from a few people, the absolute, I don't know, uh, the amount of energy that was spent on, on uh, debunking the theory of California 1849 being a legitimate state, etc., cetera, uh, resembles calling... Yikes. I, I mean, the, the way things are written, the, the little... Uh, I don't know if you want to call it like passive aggressive type wording that's in there where it says it's not as confusing as you want it to be, um, you know, stuff like that. This is such a reminder of the amount of energy that was spent, which makes me think, and I've said this over and over again, I don't think Colin is who he says he is. Not only do I not think Colin is who he says he is, I think Colin is a they. In other words, this type of writing and the way this is written and pushing so hard for there being, oh no, the 14th Amendment, absolutely, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, 14th Amendment, 
absolutely turned everybody into federal citizens. You can't question it. That's the wrong thing to go. You have to focus on, you know, this over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's identical. It's either Colin is an attorney, and in our many exchanges, I asked him, what state are you an attorney in? What school did you graduate from? Just kind of check it out. You mean, everybody knows who I am, um, but I don't think the name Colin is real. Uh, the Certainly the website that accompanied the uh, interview request couldn't have taken more than 10 minutes to put together, right? Right. So... And, and there's been so many of those. I've had people contact me who I think are either in some form or fashion, they either work for or in the legal industry or they work for or in government. And uh, oftentimes, oftentimes, it just has that same look and feel. Yeah. yeah. Did it cut out? That's okay. Just, oh. just I'll, I'll fill in as it cuts out. We're going to have to work with it. I apologize. I haven't been able to figure what's wrong. No worries. Yeah. Uh, I, oftentimes, the the uh, the website that Colin sent us to to go check out with that invite has the same look and feel of a quickly put together site for somebody they think they can hook as a uh, uh, you know in the it, they try and frame everybody as a sovereign citizen. It wasn't that long ago. I I posted it on Twitter, the fastest friend unfriend cycle that uh, I've ever had on Facebook. Facebook was somebody trying to get me to participate in um, bringing guns to a demonstration, right? Oh, yeah. And, and uh, of course, that, that whole thing is now, the chat is no longer available. Facebook says we can't verify the other person. But I've gotten so much of that, and it's the same thing over and over again. And when we begin to deconstruct what, uh, what was written here, um, yeah, and, and before we go find... there, before we go there, some more macro discussion. Uh, yeah, you know, Colin is is is, and, and I'm getting you know texts from uh, uh, producers saying, "Don't give him any more of your time." You know, we'll, we'll we'll deal with the debunking for a little bit here. I mean, it's okay. We 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 don't mind having people come at us because it helps us remind ourselves of where we've been, and, and it sharpens the argument too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If the argu- if the argument for Article Four citizenship can't stand up to an absolute assault, then maybe it's not right legitimate. Right, right? and and let's let's recall that that one of the reasons we're dealing with this, all right, is that we have a leviathan, tyrannical, authoritarian, out of control government gone wild. Exactly. All right, and, and if you, if you need any more evidence. You know, just look at the latest uh, uh, missile bombs that you know went over to Syria. Um, you know, it, it, our government is out of hand. That was just a that was just a sacrifice at the altar of Rayathon or Boeing, <laughs> right? That's all that was. Just give them a little pound of flesh. Let's 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 fire off. You know, I don't know what the number was. A hundred million dollars in missiles. I have no idea what the number was. I'm sure it was a large number of cost to the taxpayers. And what is the 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 downside for the Collins of the world that if we're right, why, why do they care? What's what's the oh, challenge? Boy. What's the challenge? I mean, is, is the worst thing because if you do a little research, you'll find them out there on a a a e o n a e o n blog uh, with a, with an article called "Here Comes Pseudo Law," a weird little cousin of pseudoscience, and it goes on and on about going on a conspiracy cruise and all these people that are anti-vaccine and cesticate trust, and you know he's just running, you know, and, and, and it's like and he, about the IRS is a big part of his this thing here, and and what is the it's like, and if I if I say these words out loud, even my family and friends get upset with me, Corey. What if we didn't pay our taxes? 
Are you talking about not paying your taxes? Well, why would you even think of such a thing? Well, how about because the taxes go to pay the interest on the funny money that is printed to pay the Rayathons and the Boeings of the world so they can go bomb people in, in, middle, in the Middle East and other places? That's why. Right. Yeah. That's why. And that's from the Grace Commission report. That's not just Todd McGreevy saying, oh, that's what's happening. No, you can look up. That's a government report. It's called the Grace Commission report. You can read that virtually none of, actually, the way they worded it was absolutely no personal income taxes go directly to the operation of government. No, it goes to welfare and warfare. Yeah. That's what it goes to. And, and so, you know, so subsequently, Colin, the Collins of the world, we, we challenge you that you think everything's okay? You think it's just A-okay that you're, 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 you and your family are being surveilled at every moment? That every conversation you have is being recorded? It's okay that uh, you can have uh, asset forfeiture if you're carrying too much cash? Or you, you, heck, you could have your car taken if the cop doesn't like the way your car smells. Yeah. That's Okay. What, did you see what happened here in California with regard to cars and taxes? Did you see what happened last week? No. Okay. So, <clears throat> California has, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the highest fuel and road and registration taxes of any state in the country. Uh, second only to New York. We also have a horribly crumbling infrastructure. The roads are completely falling apart. Everything is, it, it, it's a... A nightmare. Well, they've sold several taxes that we're currently paying. That, that when you go to the pump, you pay this tax. Before the gas gets to the pump, they have these fees. It's at the refinery level, so it looks like it's the oil companies charging you incredible amounts of money for gas here in California, when in fact it's the state. They've got their hand in your pocket before the gas gets to the gas station. Then they tax that. All of that was supposed to go to the road funds and go to road repair, and they still report as if it does. But there's a little thing in there that says if the governor decides that this money is better spent somewhere else, then the governor can move that money somewhere else, which they do. And so there's, there's something like $100 billion in deferred maintenance in California that all of it has been paid for over the last 30 years. All of that money has been paid. It just didn't go to the roads. So what they passed was not a tax because if they're going to pass new taxes, they have to get voter approval. So instead, they just call it fees. And they've upped the fees on gas. Diesel went up 21 cents a gallon. No voter approval, nothing. It's just, hey, we can do this and it's going to go to the roads. But guess what's in that same thing again? If the governor decides that this money is better spent somewhere else, he can just move it to the general fund and spend it however he wants. There's no mandate that requires them to take this $50 billion additional money that they're going to take out of the circulation. The government's going to take it, the state government, and they're going to spend it on roads so they say that there's nothing that says that actually has to be spent on the roads. It's a good racket if you can get it. So, 
Colin sends us a link to, to a YouTube uh, promotional video for Yale Law School professors, which I'll play. It's a minute and a half. I have it clipped for listening to. And he's, he's challenging us to, to take these classes and do some actual studying. And he says, when I hear you guys talk about your mission to make a difference, I always think these guys don't actually want to make a difference. Because if you did, I think you'd invest some time and effort in actually learning the law instead of making it up. Your ideas about how the facts supposedly replaced all the state government represent, representatives with federal employees, for example, is just made up. It's not in the Constitution or the history books because it didn't happen. Similarly, your belief that ex- executive orders are binding on individual citizens, that 14th Amendment citizens have no standing to enforce constitutional rights, and your interpretation of the definition of federal personnel are good examples of be- beliefs that are not just false, but so obviously false, I can't imagine you guys have ever read a book on the subject. <laughs> right, right. The way that you guys focus on making things up instead of actually studying always makes me think your goal is to look like you know what you're talking about to an audience of conspiracy theorists rather than actually figuring things out in the real world, that you're looking for respect and admiration from a gullible crowd along with a little bit of money. Yeah, Corey, you know, I'm doing this show for the money. Right, right. Yeah, that's, it's getting rich. Yeah, we're really banking now. Uh so let's just uh, back up for a second here and deal with the, uh, the where do we start here? How about the word constitutional rights? Um, actually, you, constitutional rights, which Corey even said the word, he even slips up from time to time. Yes, I do. Are not enforceable because they are permissive. They are granted. They are called civil rights. Constitutional rights are different than constitutionally secured rights. There is a difference. And 14th Amendment citizens have access to constitutional rights, which are discretionary. That's why the county sheriff where I live said our rights are modifiable. That's why we have all of the Byzantine rules about carrying a firearm. That's why we have all of the different, that's why you have driver's licenses. You, you think you have rights, you have constitutional rights. You, you are on the plantation. So, uh, I, I mean, either, I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, the right to bear arms, even if you disagree with the Second Amendment and its interpretation of the militia and so forth, and their, 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 uh, that, that it was designed, it being the right to bear arms should not be abridged as long as it's associated with the militia. Even if you believe that, nowhere else in the Constitution is it prohibited to carry arms. Read the Tenth Amendment. Right. So, I mean, th- this, this doesn't require us to go to law school to understand it. Uh, Colin here. Yeah. Another thing to throw out there real quick is why would Justice Thomas bring up that concurring opinion about the second regard, bring up the second amendment in his concurring opinion on Prince of the United States. Right. And, and basically say that, you know, the, the government's, uh, regulation of purely intrastate firearms may run afoul of the second amendment. I don't know. The only way you could argue that correctly and have a chance of winning based on all the people that have lost is you can't come in and argue it as a federal citizen to claim a purely intrastate sale. If you're a federal citizen, then that is an interstate uh, sale, right? I, I mean, there. if you're in California and you go to uh, Florida to do business and you maintain your California citizenship, that is an intrastate transaction. If you're from Washington, D.C., and you're buying a gun in California, that is an intrastate transaction. You can't come in and say it's only happening in California because if you're a U.S. citizen, 
then what you're doing is commercial. Just your presence there is commercial. And that that's identified in so many. It's identified in so many. Openly as we state it. Yeah, it's it's identified in cases, but you have to look for it. The the way it's written is intended to be confusing, in my opinion. But it, it is straightforward. You know, anything that a U.S. citizen does is uh, interstate commerce. It's basically the the commerce clause of the Constitution gives the federal government authority to regulate it because it is interstate commerce. Justice Thomas said that a purely intrastate transaction of a firearm and the federal government's regulation of it may run afoul of the Second Amendment. And, in, and hoping somebody, encouraging somebody to bring a case like that. And, and I, the I NRA mean, doesn't bring it because they know everybody that's going to come to the table is going to be a U.S. citizen, and I have standing. Well, that and the NRA, in my opinion, it's all run by attorneys. There is no attorney who wants anybody to be an Article Four citizen because it's devastating to their industry. So I'm going back to uh, um, episode number 58, uh, which was broadcast on uh, December 5th, 2015, titled Low Risk, High Reward. I think that's when we first came up with that perhaps moniker, if you will, but you emailed the state archivist for evidence. The original constitution in your state was repealed by the state legislature back then, Corey. Right. And, uh, you said, I'm writing to request the legislation that repealed the 1849 constitution of California, the mailing address to send this information is now you have had encounters with law enforcement, both in uniform, out of uniform, who have asserted vociferously that of course it was repealed. Right. It, there's genuine, genuine, uh, uh, conventional wisdom, so to speak, uh, in California that the 1849 one is an anachronistic piece of paper, that it's it's no longer in effect. And this is where Collins stands as yeah, well. Yeah, no saying, longer in effect. Saying that we don't have evidence of that and that, you know, this is folly and we're just leading gullible listeners down a path to make us very wealthy. So uh, you got a response that said, unfortunately, California State Archives does not have the staff time or resource to undertake such in-depth research. And... Uh, you went on to, you actually found the, uh, they found the archives for the California 1879 Constitutional Convention. And where I'm going with this is there's a document, and again, I'm not getting paid enough to do enough research here, so that's the problem. I'm uh, uh, trying to find, the, there was a document we looked at, Corey, that, that was a, just an executive order by the governor that was just saying all new elections. Everybody right. that's currently incumbent is there's just it's on moss, it's over. We're getting all new elections now. That in and right. of itself was fascinating to us. In that, wait a second, you, here you are sitting in one of the several states. You have these offices that are all uh, occupied, and then out of nowhere, after this so-called you know, and, and there's no proof yet that 1849 was repealed. That language is exists nowhere. Am I correct on that? Correct. Yes. And meanwhile. All new elections happen, just out of the blue. No matter what the cycle was in terms in, in terms of that office, we we point to that as evidence that this was the takeover. Well, it it was, and if we if we look at you know in his in his uh, letter, it says that um, if you want to, uh, well, let me go back to it. Um, uh, okay. Basically, in, in his letter, sorry, it takes a second, it says, every constitutionally 
every constitution implicitly overrides all the jurisdiction's prior written law. Writing and enacting a new constitution is all it takes to repeal prior constitutions as long as people accept it. If they don't, you have to fight it out as per the American Revolution. Well, then what's the point of the Article 10, Section 2 of the 1849 Constitution? Let me just read that real quick. It's one paragraph. It says, And if at any time two-thirds of the Senate and Assembly shall think it necessary to revise or change this entire Constitution. I'm reading from the 1849 Constitution, by the way. Um, change this entire constitution, they shall recommend to the electors at the next election for members of the legislature to vote for or against the convention. And if it shall appear that a majority of the electors voting at such election have voted in favor of calling a convention, the legislature shall at its next session. That means they can't do it in one session. It takes two sessions to, to, um, uh, revise or change the entire 1849 constitution it says that its next convention provide by law for calling a convention which means hey we think we need to replace this entire constitution you get one session of the state assembly to say yes we're going to change it then at the next assembly that means they have to go through an election cycle Provide for law by calling a convention to be hold within six months after the passage of such law, and such convention shall consist of a number of members not less than that of both branches of the legislature. In other words, they made it very, very difficult to repeal the 1849 Constitution. Instead, what they did was they said, oh, look, it passed all in one and immediately announced to everybody, oh, yeah, the, it, your courts are abolished. The courts that handled the um, uh, citizenship for 1849 Californians, this is mainstream documentation that you can find on Ancestry.org or Ancestry.com of people. Uh-oh, of people. Via the of people becoming state citizens in California via the district and county courts in California. That you can find that citizenship and you can find that happening after the 14th Amendment passed. There is no evidence that the 1849 Constitution was repealed uh, in the manner that the Constitution calls for. Can it be replaced it, without being repealed? Well, it, it says right here. It says, uh, and if at any time two-thirds of the Senate and Assembly shall think it necessary to revise or change this entire Constitution. Right? So they're basically saying, look, if you're going to, you can amend the Constitution, but if you're going to revise or change the entire Constitution, here's how you have to do it. Because the, the framers knew how difficult it would be to to maintain this oh yeah yeah and that, that was the california constitution. it's open to uh the, that's I, the california constitution yeah that's the yeah. california you're talking about and i think that what we're dealing with here and, and because you know we have the disadvantage of how many decades later you know there's no there's no youtube video of what went down back in 1879 unfortunately um it takes a lot of research and, and triangulating multiple documents to get a, a picture of of history, whether you use the capital H or small H, as I was taught in college, um, 
what we we have the disadvantage of not really uh, what we assert is that that 1879. While yes, a new constitution was formed, we assert that was a effectively the rule book for the federal division of right. of, of the the California Divi- the California federal division of the federal government. And that 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 election that when I'll find the document I've been searching here as we're talking I, I know we have it I, I remember posting it um, that the governor was just on moss just saying you know we're going to do all new elections um, that that was part of the takeover and this was during the scare of the Chinese immigration that the Chinese right. were taking over that was the wedge that that, put, that was the whole thing that that was what put it you know the 1879 Constitution to the forefront because it had to address immigration and you know very similar circumstances today of of how you know these wedge issues get get driven at us. They referred to it as the Chinese problem. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know much like that that document I read at the beginning of the show from the IMF about the uh, decaching, it, it does boggle the mind of the ener- the energy and time that that individuals will spend to to control others to to tighten that control grid to uh to effectively uh implement tyranny that yeah. they know better and if, if they don't assert their will that somehow that's not acceptable i i just yeah. i'm trying to get my hands around the 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 elite attitude of of you know i don't i don't either they're Either they're monsters or they're ignorant, or I, some of both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just so. All right, and let's go back to the the. So the, ba- the basically, there's here. absolutely no evidence, Todd. I believe that if there was a legal contest and it was worded in such a way that that said you can destroy my argument by bringing evidence that the 1849 Constitution was replaced uh, legally then I think I would win that argument. I don't think anybody well, can bring evidence to show that the 1849 Constitution was replaced. Allah, or, or an example of that, is to say that there is no evidence. In fact, there's great support to show that the 1846, I think it is, Constitution of Texas remains valid. It remains a state guaranteed to the people. Via Texas v. White. Via Texas v. White, correct. And, and so the impasse we find ourselves at is, you're saying, prove to me that the 1849 Constitution was never replaced or repealed, and there's no evidence forthcoming by the Collins of the world. And Collins of the world are saying, show us the evidence that it wasn't. Yeah, prove a negative. Yeah, show, show you know, it, our, our conventional wisdom rules, because we're attorneys, and you refuse to take the Yale Law class, and subsequently you are just a shill trying to get people to send you money, gullible people. So... All right, and this guy goes into so much effort that it's worth war- it's warranting a, a review, and, and and we'll leave it at that for this show. Um, let's see. Well, we- there was a little bit more on this that I yeah. wanted to cover, if you don't mind. No, by, by all means, yeah. So he brings up uh, the Frank Bruchaber case, right? And and this is something that if you go into a deep dive on it, it is. It's kind of like it, if you think of attorneys who are trying to explain to you what the law is. It's like somebody teaching you how to drive a car, but they never tell you what the brake pedal does. <laughs> Yet they tell the truth about everything else about the car. Right. You know, if you really want to hurt somebody, that's a great way to teach them how to drive a car is just don't ever tell them what the brake is and then maintain plausible deniability by telling the truth about everything else. Good metaphor. So, right. So 
let, let's go to this thing. Uh, where was he at on Bruce Shaber? Because he brought up that, um, uh, let's see, where to go. Uh, I'm looking for. It says, and, and then when he says, therefore, I don't know. Generally, the term United States is not as confusing as you want it to be. Really? There's three definitions of the United States, according to the Supreme Court. It pretty much always refers to the country. Listen to that term. Pretty, pretty, pretty much, much always. always. When used in a statute or something like that. I mean, God, we almost shouldn't even be given this airtime. Uh, it refers to citizenship. Then it def- If it refers to citizenship, then it definitely refers to the country. Because since the passage of the 14th Amendment, state citizenship hasn't really been considered as anything more than a byproduct of national citizenship. Now think about that. Considered. What does that mean? It hasn't been considered. I guess you could say that means hasn't been recognized, uh, hasn't been thought about, hasn't been acknowledged, a, a byproduct. So so effectively, the, the Collins of the world are, you are a 14th Amendment citizen no matter what. End of story. Yeah, exactly. Which does not fit, it, when you look at that edge, that time period between, uh, say, 10 years prior to 10 years after the 14th Amendment's passage, there's all sorts of delineations between federal citizens and state citizens. And at the, at the very end of uh, that subheading, it says, have you ever read a California DMV driver license application? At the very end of that, it's his third paragraph. It says, I did read some of the cases you cited a show or two back. You probably should have done the same. There's a little bit of that, you know, stuff. At least one just flat out doesn't refer to citizenship at all. Like Bruce Schaber, which I believe you also cited, and which has nothing to do with citizenship. Really? Okay, so let's take a look at what happened with the Bruce Schaber case. And this is the crap that attorneys... This is the crap that attorneys... The ones that are so-called nice attorneys... This is how their brains have been molded by the law schools to, to make them incapable of connecting the dots or unwilling to connect the dots. Now, Bruce Shaber is, Bruce, it has nothing Bruce, Bruce Shaber is Bruce Shaber v. Union Pacific Railroad Company from 1960. Correct. All right, just for some context here. Yep. Frank Bruce Shaber, uh, this case, he says it has nothing to do with citizenship. This is the case that resulted in the the uh, the the tax code of them creating the term non-resident alien, a non-resident alien that owes taxes to the federal government. That was the result of this case. A non-resident alien is somebody that the federal government has no authority to tax, none at all. But. If, in, like in Frank Bruchaber's case, he ended up winning, although it was a loss, but from my point of view, he won from today's uh, necessities, from the need to identify yourself as an Article Four citizen, Frank Bruchaber won. He didn't win that particular battle. He ended up owing taxes. But he didn't owe taxes because he was a federal citizen. He didn't owe taxes because the federal government is able to tax you however they feel like it. He owed taxes because the source of his income was a U.S. source, right? So he had invested in a railroad. And I'll, I'll be the first one to say I'm not the expert on Frank Bruchaber. This is a friend of the show, Rich in Texas, who has done incredible research. He's even gone to 
meet the family members, the descendants of Frank Bruchaber. He has gotten incredible amounts of information on this case. It had everything to do with citizenship. It's just the majority of what they talked about during the case was taxes. And yes, he did have to pay taxes. That means today, if you're an Article Four citizen and your income is U.S. sourced, they can tax it. But if your income is not U.S. sourced, if it's not federally sourced income, the federal government treats an Article Four citizen, they classify them as a non-resident alien. They're non-resident. They're not a resident, right? Non-resident. Alien. They are alien to the federal government. The federal government has no jurisdiction over the person for tax purposes. But they do have jurisdiction over the source of the income. That's what was so important about the Frank Bruchaber case. It resulted in the IRS, or I don't know if using the term IRS is correct, because I think prior to um, it was 1928 or 1930, something like that, it was called uh, Department of Revenue, not the Internal Revenue Service. But the Internal Revenue Service inherited all of this, and the uh, the Department of Revenue had to create as I mentioned before, they had to create this designation of non-resident alien. Frank Bruchaber wasn't from China. He wasn't from a foreign country. He was a citizen of a state, as he put in his, um, in his declaration, in his paperwork. He filed that he was a citizen of a state and resided in a certain borough in that state. And so the the uh, the government had to create this non-resident alien for somebody who's an Article Four citizen. That is a huge deal. That is everything to do with citizenship. The battle was over taxes, and so to say that this case, because Colin has is uh, responded before and said, "Oh, that case has to do with taxes, and he lost." It doesn't mean anything, right? It's ridiculous. The difference between a U.S. citizen is the government has jurisdiction over the person. The federal government has jurisdiction over a U.S. citizen. That means, and this is a real case, I can't remember off the top of my head, but if you're in Mexico and you're a U.S. citizen and you are earning money purely in Mexico, you're not earning your money at all. Let's just say you're, you're selling, uh, I don't know, tapas on the beach in a, in a tourist area in Mexico you still owe U.S. income taxes because if you're a U.S. citizen, it doesn't matter where your domicile is anywhere in the world, you still are subject to federal taxation from the United States government. Now, let's pause on that. Let's pause on that for one second. That's a fascinating dynamic that most people don't consider. And I would challenge the Collins of the world, are you cool with that? You're not even right. you're not even utilizing the resources of the of the the so-called resources the federal government provides back home, so to speak. You're abroad. Your labor is going into something completely separate from the actual ge- geographical country that you that you're a citizen of. Yet you still get taxed. You're you're cool with that. Right. If if that's okay, then then stay on the plantation. That's good. We like yeah. to we like to address maybe an alternative to that. Please carry exactly. on. Now, the, the, so if you're a U.S. citizen and you're making money in Mexico and your money is purely sourced in Mexico, you still owe taxes. A Mexican citizen in Mexico has no connection to the federal government, would not owe the United States taxes. Pretty clear, right? Yep. 
and a Mexican citizen who invests in a U.S. corporation and earns money, that Mexican citizen would have to pay taxes on the money earned from a U.S. source as a non-resident alien. That That's how that person would be taxed. No different, that's the separation, that was the intent of the framers was to separate the people from the federal government as much as possible. Uh, and the federal government could not just directly legislate for tax purposes directly on the people, unless it's a capitation tax. And uh, an article four citizen who would be in the United States, like, um, uh, as, as looking at a picture from, you know, a thousand miles up looking down, you see the entire country, uh, using that term as a nation amongst a family of nations, an Article Four citizen, say in California, who is earning non-federal income, he's just he's a a blacksmith in California, right? He would not owe income tax to the federal government for whatever he produced from purely intrastate business, just like an Article Four citizen would not owe any income tax to the United States if he was making money in Mexico, just like a Mexican citizen would not owe any income tax to the federal government if the Mexican citizen was earning money only in Mexico. And by intrastate, you mean within the borders of California? Correct. Yeah. Or any state. Right. You know, you're right. only, you're right. not, it's not a Obviously, if you are doing business in such a way where you're doing business that crosses state lines, he's not. He's not shipping his horseshoes to uh, Oregon. To Oregon, correct. And and I, you know, I would suggest that for an Article Four citizen, that regulation would be different. If you're shipping your horseshoes to Oregon, would be different than the regulation on a U.S. citizen. But as far as I know, there isn't a case that has tested that. And it's pretty simple to see when you have the ability to look at time. Attorneys want you to look at things as if they've always been this way. But the advantage that the government has is government outlives people. We might live 70, 80, 90 years, 100 if we're really lucky. But government's been around much longer than that. So we wake up or become conscious in the world the way it is today. Um, you know, like for my kids... They they didn't know until they got to be teenagers. They'd never heard of an album. They didn't know what an album was. Right. When it, what's a record? Uh, the first time I felt old was when my oldest son asked me, "Dad, what's a record?" Wow, right? Yeah. So his perspective, because he had only been on the earth for at the time fourteen or fifteen years, um, was CDs and MPs. It was limited. It was a limited perspective. A limited perspective. And that limited perspective you can take advantage of if you have a deeper perspective. Well, at the time the 14th Amendment was passed, the federal government was paying all of its debts in gold and silver. When the states were basically overthrown by the federal government via a legal means um, that started out as a band-aid to protect the states, which is the 14th Amendment, all the, the legislative... Um, uh, uh, the 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 part that describes sending representatives to the several states, that only happened in the 14th Amendment. That only happened to the states that had um, uh, walked out the southern states. It was a way to provide representation and maintain those states. 
but it was still the federal government doing it. Yeah, it certainly wasn't the people of the several states. Obligation the federal government has to ensure a Republican form of government to the several states. Well, all, all that the federal government has to do is trick the people into no longer sending representatives uh, through their Article 4 citizenship or their original several state citizenship, and now the federal government can send its own representatives in. That's one part of being able to overthrow and take total control. That's why, sec- that's why when you elect Congress people in, in your uh, district, if you will, it is run as a federal election. Yes, it, it, it is a federal it election. It is a federal election, and it is run by Help America Vote Act, which is a federal grant that all the, the auditors you know, go to the trough and get money, and it's, it's, it's total federal. It's not one of the several states. It just isn't. Right. And, 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 and we can have an impasse where, again, you know, prove to me that it isn't. Well, okay, every single person involved has a federal taxpayer ID number, including the auditor's office. Right. Including the county government. I mean, it's all federal. And and he, uh, Colin also talks about that part where we reference uh, Title Five, Section Five Fifty Two A. Yes, uh, it parts. It, it reads, you know, even if the definition explicitly referred to Social Security, it wouldn't make Social Security participants federal personnel generally. Okay, Let, let's just take that as being true. First, Section Five Fifty Two A, which I think is what you point to here, begins with. Uh oh, Five Fifty Two A begins with. You got to repeat it, Corey. It's definition. Uh, begins with the words for purposes of this section. Its definitions only apply to 552A and nothing else. Second, definitions don't do anything by themselves. All it does is say, when you read the terms federal personnel in this statute, here's what it means. I don't, I, I don't at all disagree with anything that he says here, except the implication that it doesn't mean anything. Right. So do you how much of the code do you want to be considered federal personnel without getting a paycheck? I I would say none of it. Right. If you're considered federal personnel for just one part of the code, that one part of the code, the government has total control over you as federal personnel. They certainly Um, have the jurisdiction to uh, to. uh well, total control is a good word. Yeah, never mind. Right. Yeah. And if if you are considered federal personnel, then by way of the 1849 Constitution, you are prohibited with the exception of if you earn less than $500 a year or if you're a postmaster. Um, you cannot hold office in one of the offices established by the 1849 uh, Constitution. So uh, if... You know, you you cannot be considered federal personnel. It doesn't say you can be fed. You know, you can be employed by the United States, which in the 1849 Constitution referred to the federal government. Um, you can be employed by the United States for this one section, but everything else it doesn't matter. No, it just blanketly says you cannot hold office as a state official and simultaneously hold office as being employed by the federal government. Well, he you just can't. Well, Colin asserts that Social Security isn't even a retirement plan. It's a, it's a tax. Well, he's not wrong, but it's, I mean, it, it's called a retirement plan. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and we could go down the path of it's a tax, then how come it's not being apportioned? You know, right. Well, because uh, it's not a, it doesn't apply to the citizens of the several states. Right. It exactly. Only applies to Fourteenth Amendment. Exactly. Citizens. Exactly. Corey, I got to right. throw some cold water on your on, on your uh, 
uh, non-resident alien. All right, I'm at the link that that Colin provided to uh, supreme.justia.com, which we've used many times as resources for uh, Supreme Court cases. And you, I'm at the uh, um, the case proper, and I'm doing a search. Control F is your friend, everybody on browsers uh, for long documents for the word alien, and it doesn't come up anywhere in here. Okay, so, so let's see. Yeah, do you have that link? I can Skype Hang it on. to you if you want. Yeah, to. Skype it to me. Yeah, here you go. Um, so, you know, I'm just trying to make sure we're not taking advantage of gullible listeners here. And uh, oh no, there there wouldn't be. Okay, so there's not going to be the term non-resident alien in the decision. Okay. Right? Okay. But in the tax code, as a result of this decision, the term non-resident alien was created in the tax code because of this decision. Okay. All right. Fair right? enough. So the, there, in other words, yeah, you're an Article Four citizen, even though it doesn't say... Um, uh, you know they they don't refer to Article Four. At least I don't recall Article Four being directly referred to in in this case. But um, uh, but they drew the nexus. They drew the nexus between the railroad is a federal entity because it's a right. cor- it's a corporation incorporated under the federal jurisdiction. Correct. Right. It, it was a federal project. He invested in a federal project mm-hmm. where his uh, they didn't come after him for taxes on his other earnings. Right, right. They, they. Right. He wasn't. He didn't have to pay taxes on that, and he, he went in and said, "Look, I don't have to pay taxes on this. This is ridiculous." And he was wrong. That's part of why taxation is not a big part of this show. Like it, it's not one of the big hooks to say, "Oh, avert Article Four citizenship," because you won't have to pay any taxes. Frank Bruchaber shows that, of course, Article Four citizens in some cases do have to pay taxes to the federal government. If your income is derived from a U.S. source, then you have to pay taxes to the federal government. His income from the his investment in the Union Pacific Railroad was derived from a U.S. source, but the way he got the money to invest in the in the uh, railroad was not a U.S. source. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, maybe we could get Rich uh, from Texas to give us some uh, more uh, uh, context on this one. Uh, with regards to the to the after the case and and how it was put into the code and so forth, uh, if he's researched it and it's if and if it's oh read, he's, read he's yeah that would be great. I'll see if I can get him and maybe we can do a uh, an interview offline because he's he's by the way congratulations to Rich in Texas. He retired from the military. He recently, which is a huge deal, um, just be, went through all of the training and everything that needs to happen for him to be. Uh, sitting left seat, which is captain status in uh, the big leagues, the commercial airlines flying the big jets. So huge accomplishment for my friend Rich in Texas. Congratulations. Wow. We need more pilots. There's a pilot shortage because of federal regulation. They just decided overnight to change the number of hours it takes to train and and pretty much almost times it by 10, making it nearly yeah. impossible for a pilot to become uh it's like $150,000 just to get the training. Now granted, we want pilots who are trained well, obviously. Right. We want safe pilots, obviously. Yeah. But but what the reason I, I mean I have a little bit of insight into this and because of the way the federal government overregulated, 
uh, and won't touch it with a 10-foot pole because every time it comes up in Congress, I'm told by people in the aviation industry, the that terrible plane wreck that happened in Pittsburgh because a pilot fell asleep or something like that. You remember that? Right. Yes. The 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 the, the, the tragic uh, family members uh, of the of the deceased come to the Congress and you know nobody wants to go against them, so they just leave it alone. And subsequently, we continue to have this massive. You watch, mark mark our words. There there is a pilot shortage on the horizon, and I just watched some stuff on C-SPAN. There's a pilot shortage within the military. Well, and part of that, the reason why Rich has retired from the military is not because he decided he wanted to leave. He loved his job. I I got to tour when I was out for my son's wedding. I got to tour the base that he works at, and and you know we took some pictures together. It was fantastic. He did not want to leave. Rich is in great shape. He is, uh, he's not an old man by any means. He's in better shape than most people who are 20 years his junior. Absolute wealth of, of knowledge and experience when it comes to flying planes. He's a instructor in the military or was an instructor in the military. But because he reached an arbitrary age, the military says, once you reach this age, you can no longer fly anymore. And that's ridiculous. Wow. Rather than saying, "Hey, once you reach this age, now you have to, you know, uh, prove yourself, uh, do prove yourself annually, like you do, even below that age, you know, you still have to have a, yeah. you know, your your air uh, medical, your your airman's certificate. I, I don't know how they do it in the military, but when uh, you're flying privately, you have to have a medical. Like a doctor has to say, "Yeah, you're you're healthy enough to fly," and if you have a condition that prevents you from being able to fly, your age doesn't matter. The age matters in the military, and the military just arbitrarily kicks him out and retires him. Um, complete waste. He's got another 10 years, at least, of high-quality high quality. information to be able to pass on to new pilots. But because there's this arbitrary decision that started you know, 80 years ago, about people, once they reach a certain age, they have to retire. He's got, uh, I think... He's got what? In the majors, where he can continue to fly as captain, then he's forced to retire out of the uh, commercial industry at a relatively young age. Yet there's people who are 40 years old in horrible shape that you don't want behind the yoke of an airplane. And you might have somebody who's 65, 70, who's in way better shape, right? The the age at that point. The age at that point. Ability to fly an airplane. Yet the arbitrary nature of government has just decided that, hey, here's what we're going to say. For some reason, Corey, our Skype works fine, except when we do a show. I tell you, man, I it is so frustrating. It's It's weird. Uh... So well, I, I did have a thought on that. You're running several applications on a single computer, or are you running two computers over there? I got two computers and an iPad. And you just cut out again. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's really lame. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, I'm not, there's nothing running on the second computer, and it's all it's connected to is an output for a headphone. So let's, let's go back to, let's finish off uh, Colin's, uh, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but, uh, you know, his original, uh, so Bruce Shaber, thank you. You've checked that box. I believe, uh, let's quickly briefly, let's do a lightning round, Corey, and try and keep it compressed birth certificate. He wants us not to deal birth certificate. Just read the constitution and, and just study what lawyers tell us. That's what he wants us to do. Ready to issue a birth certificate. You got to repeat it, man. Sorry. Can you hear? 
Oh, damn it. W- where does the government get the authority to issue a birth certificate and say you have to now identify yourself as a bastard by government property? Where, where does that authority come from? Right. And well, it comes from the 14th Amendment. It comes from if you want to exactly. be a federal citizen, you, you got to comply with what we say. Because right. the 14th Amendment doesn't protect you from having your rights violated by the federal government. It only protects you from having your rights violated by the several states. Period. That's it. That's it. And it's just, you know, it, it, anyway. Okay. So let's just circle back and this, let's listen to the, the promotion for Yale's Coursera. C-O-U-R-S-E-R-A. It's like an online learning course. And this is what uh, Colin would like us to listen to. He's challenging us to take these courses. We invite you to enroll in our many offerings on Coursera. While our courses cover a variety of subjects from business to medicine, this month we are highlighting courses taught by distinguished Yale Law School professors. Professor Akhil Amar offers two courses relating to constitutional law. The first course is America's Written Constitution, which looks at the specific language of the Constitution and covers major themes such as popular sovereignty, separation of powers, federalism, and rights. If you would like to learn more about America's guiding principles, you can enroll in the next session starting April 24th. Professor Amar's second course is America's Unwritten Constitution. This course is an introduction to basic techniques of constitutional interpretation, so you can go beyond the text itself while still remaining faithful to the document. You can dive into the next session starting April 24th. A law student's toolkit is the perfect primer for anyone interested in pursuing a career in law. In this course, Professor Ian Ayers highlights key legal concepts that help you build the foundation you need to succeed in law school and beyond. The next session starts April 24th. We hope to see you in class. So this, uh, when you click on the link to uh, Coursera, America's Written Constitution, it's uh, created by Yale University, taught by Akhil, A-K-H-I-L, Reed, R-E-E-D, Amar, A-M-A-R, Sterling Professor of Law and Political Science at Yale Law School. That's 12 to 15 hours a week. Uh, how to pass. Pass all graded assignments to complete the course. And uh, week one is the welcome. Um, they're going to give you stuff to read and do an introductory thing. And then, then there's in the beginning there's a uh, take you a guided tour of the preamble and learn how one sentence changed the world. And there's videos. So, you know, this might be worth checking out to see what kind of uh, brainwashing is going on out of Yale to the populace. Uh, new rules for a new world. In this module, you'll learn how geography, democracy, wealth, and race affected the structure of our legislative branch. Professor Amara will explain the underlying factors behind decisions on senatorial term limits, age, qualifications, salaries, and much more. Congressional powers. This module is devoted to just one section in one article of the U.S. Constitution, arguably, arguably the longest and most important, uh, Article 1, Section 8, enumerating the powers held by Congress. Uh, implication of uh, uh, these powers, including regulation of trade, creation of an army and a navy, and levying of taxes. America's first officer. In this module, you'll find out uh, what about George Washington made him so uniquely qualified for the task of being our nation's first president. Eh. Sorry, he wasn't the first president. There was, I think, according to Michael Badnerick, was it nine or 13 before him, Corey, that were president of the uh, uh, Continental Congress? Yes, not nine 
under the Articles of Confederation. Yes. America's government, that, that is America's government, yeah. um, or, or government of the United States. There were nine presidents prior to yeah. George Washington. George Washington was the first president of the second government formed under the authority of the Declaration of Independence. Exactly. Those are nuances that just are tells to us that, that, that these are not fair dealers. Next one, week three, presidential powers. Uh, you'll be hearing about the specific powers held by the President of the United States. Learn how the presidential pardon is directly related to national security and why the veto power is nearly insurmountable. The professor will also point out how in a small number of situations, the president is even more powerful than the king of England. Judges and rules. Uh, the judicial branch of U.S. today only vaguely resembles what framers had in mind. In this section, you'll learn about, you'll learn, You'll learn you about the decision. See, this is grammatically even poorly written, and there's typos in this whole presentation, which leads me to believe Yale can't even edit their own promotional material about the decisions the men behind the judicial branch's expansion in power and in scale. Okay, here's a good one, Corey. States and territories. Ironically, week four deals with Article Four of the Constitution, which outlines the interrelationship between states and territories. In order for this emerging country to succeed, the framers' new states would need to start thinking of themselves as parts of the same whole. To achieve this, rules need to be set in place for interstate trade and travel. Professor Amar will introduce the concept of horizontal federalism. Looking specifically at how the Constitution accounts for the differences between state laws on slavery and voting rights, finally you'll learn about how the Taney-led Supreme Court, whose rulings on racial laws would help set America down the path to civil war. So more memeing that slavery started the civil war. The fight over yeah. slavery, that is. Um, and I mean, that was certainly a big part of it, in my opinion, but it wasn't the only thing no. happening. It's kind of like if you think of a paintbrush just dabbing it onto a wall. There's a whole bunch of different fibers that transmit paint to that wall. Slavery was certainly one of those fibers may have been a major one, but it's not the only reason. And I love how it's okay for the Sterling professor of law at Yale to have a concept called horizontal federalism, but Corey and Todd on their podcast are just trolling for gullible people. If we're talking about a concept of a varying article four state citizenship. Right. It's okay. Another thing to bring up that immediately caught me was the, and you haven't gotten to it yet, was the separation of powers between the state and the federal government. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, you know, separation of powers. Your answer, and I, this came up in my prosecution. I had how many different, six or seven different attorneys. They were all asked similar questions. One of them was, and and this is a big deal for me. When you have a driver's license in California. You are being treated and dealt with no differently than somebody who is here without legal basis, right? In California, there is a federal mandate. That's the federal government saying you have to give driver's licenses to people who are not here legally. Yeah. Right? That's so, a federal mandate? That's not a, that's not a, a subdivision of the feds, uh, California's own little branch No, that's, that's a federal mandate. Hmm. And they refer to it as a federal mandate. You go to the highway patrol, you can hear them. When I was in the highway patrol office, you could hear them talking to people about who were, uh, you know, from, from likely from Mexico. I mean, uh, they were speaking Spanish, but likely from Mexico who didn't have a driver's license trying to get their car back. And the officer was explaining, look, under the federal mandate, you can get a driver's license and then you can get your car back. Basically saying, go to the Mexican consulate, get a matricular um, uh, identity card. 
identity card. That's an identity card from Mexico. And under this federal mandate, now California must give you a driver's license. And... How in the world is there a separation of powers? The separation of powers is purely administrative and is at the whim of the president. If they can, if the, a state can be forced to identify people no different than anyone else who are not legally here based on the authority of the federal government, where is that separation of powers? It, it, there is it none. exists. There is none. The state and they're... That whole thing, the, the world of the driver's license, the DMV, which has a federal employer identification number, is it, it all exists within federal authority that operates within the state of California. It's one half of the house. The other half is the government of the several state, which doesn't exist. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, um, uh, well, there was a guy, Rod Class. Have you heard of Rod sure, Class? Sure, of course. Yeah, I believe it was Rod Class, and I could be wrong, so I'm kind of shooting off the fly here. If I if I can find it, I'll I'll get that link to you. But a few years ago, Rod Class brought a lawsuit, and one of the judgments of that lawsuit was that the um, the offices held or the offices that exist for the state of Texas. The, the several state, the state that entered the union by way of a, a treaty, because Texas entered the union different than all other states. My understanding is Texas is the only state that can legitimately fly the flag at the same level as the federal uh, flag. Huh. That all of those offices are unoccupied. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can Cla- dig that Class up. Class got that, that in writing? He got that in writing. Huh. I, I'm pretty sure it was Rod Class. It was in it was in a thread from this was from wow. years ago. Yeah. Uh, in a thread in the No Drivers License group, and I'll scour my computer and see if I can find it. He posted uh, he posted this online. It was considered a big win yeah. at the time, which I thought it was a big win, Office and it really went yeah. towards me. Really went towards you searching more and more Texas. Uh, researching it, Texas it more. referred. Yeah, just researching Texas and finding Texas to be such a an interesting state that also led me to find Texas v. White. There was a combination of somebody who lived in Texas asking mm-hmm. me questions out there that I found interesting. She owned a business, and that's how I found Texas v. White, combined with the, the announcement of Rod Class and what he had won. Um, you know, pretty fascinating. So when when you look at, whenever attorneys speak, I, I mean, I find this over and over again when... I, they all do the same thing. It's this willful um, cognitive dissonance to Article Four citizenship, and trying to use create this world, this artificial world where attorneys have insane amounts of power, incredible amounts of power. When you're oh. represented by an attorney, you do you're no longer in charge of your case. The attorney is, and if you're an Article Fourteen, I'm sorry, if you're a Fourteenth Amendment citizen. Then you have to sign a waiver that says you're going to be treated like an attorney in order to mount a defense. If not, if you don't sign that, then you are going to be given an attorney. In other words, you're not allowed to to articulate your own defense. That was how they manufactured. That's how they manufactured what? Because my entire uh, the consent for yes, my driver's license. Manufactured they the manu- consent. The state manufactured that consent mm-hmm. and so uh mm-hmm. uh and that that's a term used by justice Breyer in the supreme court 
giving a situation of how the state could manufacture consent for a driver's license. And they did. They manufactured the consent for the prosecution. They manufactured the consent for um, uh, the actual issuance of the driver's license I carry now. And, uh, you know, and that, and that, the, but the attorneys are, every single one of them could not answer, how am I legally in a state with no borders, right? Because um, the borders of the state are those <laughs> stated in the 1849 Constitution that they said has been replaced. Yet they reference the 1849 Constitution in the 1879 Constitution after they removed the borders from that state in 1972, I believe it was. This uh, I'll, I'll finish up with this syllabus here because it's I think it's instructive as to what Colin's asking us to to spend twelve to fifteen hours a week on. Talk about uh, a distraction. Uh, making amends. Anti-Federalists rejoice. This module's lectures go over the first ten amendments to America's Constitution, also known as the Bill of Rights. These amendments contain some of the most iconic language contained in the document: freedom of speech, the right to keep and bear arms. Bear spelled B A R E. That tells me that some, and, I, and I, I, I'm not trying to be ageist here, some millennial intern was told to write this up and get this on this webpage, and they've never even read the Second Amendment, let alone right. understand what the term bear arms means. The right to a fair trial, all this can be found in the Bill of Rights. Professor Amaral will go over where the framers borrowed the ideas of these amendments and also who championed and opposed their adoption. Uh, then it goes into new birth of freedom. This module as we move forward, both in text and in time, after the first, again, an incomplete sentence, after the first 12 amendments to the Constitution, 50 quiescent years pass. Is that even a word? Quiescent. Q-U-I-E-S-C-E-N-T. Quiescent. 50 quiescent years pass before three new amendments are ratified in rapid succession. 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments to the U.S. Constitution brought radical change to America by abolishing slavery, redefining citizenship, and expanding voter rights. What event could possibly spur significant legislative action? Get ready as Professor Amar guides us through a wholly singular look at America's Civil War. <laughs> They're just up front. You know, it's, it's, right. it's singular. There's no diversity of opinion in, in, this, in this class. And it goes on. Using the word democracy in here, you know, left and right. And I'm, sure, I'm certain there's no discussion in this class of guaranteed Republican form of government in the several states. And I love that term, how they, they use that term, redefine citizenship. Yeah, yeah. Hey, how, how great is that? We've, we're going to create a government where there's the federal government separated from the people, and the people have citizenship in their own state. Oh, we have a civil war. We get things confused. We pass the 14th Amendment. Hey, let's just redefine citizenship and make everybody citizens of a division of government. Yeah, make everybody citizens of a division of the federal own, government. Which is why the frame... Yeah, but it was the division of government, the federal division of government was not intended to have citizens of its own. That's why there was such latitude in how they can operate. I would agree that the president in certain cases has more authority than the king of England. I, I wouldn't question that. I can't think of something off the top of my head, but the president does have insane amounts of authority in his jurisdiction. But it the, does the, say it does say president of the United States doesn't say president of the United States of America because right. the president of the United States of America has no authority over an article 4 state citizen. Yeah, or very limited authority and the bill of rights would be directly applicable between that the bill of rights would separate the president from the citizens of the several states. Uh 14th amendment citizens don't have that separation. The president can 
you know, uh, make an executive order on firearms. The through legislation, the the uh, the government can say, well, hey, if you're receiving any assistance on helping with any type of matters and you're getting social security benefits, you can no longer have a gun. You know, all these different things that that can happen, but can only happen to federal citizens because they don't have direct access to the Bill of Rights. If somebody can bring a case to court and win and prove me wrong, I would there would be nobody happier than me because it would be so much easier. But that case, um, uh, the uh, Birch uh, uh, Birchfield versus uh, was it Birchfield Minnesota. v. Ohio, Minnesota, I think. Okay, Birchfield v. Minnesota. Justice Breyer said during the arguments, "Look, there is no." Uh, there is no exception to the Fourth Amendment. And that was the whole point of that case, was a Fourth Amendment violation. And Justice Breyer said there is no exception to the Fourth Amendment. We just have to see if the Fourth Amendment applies here. Here you go, America. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. So let's let's wrap up the Colin uh, uh, exchange with, I guess, you know, the blanket questioning of, of motive, which is, you know, unfair, I guess, because you can never really tell what somebody's motive is. But to go into this much, uh, you know, effort to, uh, and he didn't answer you, you, some of your questions specifically. Uh, no. Uh, is, I, I think that what we're dealing with is so disruptive, so horribly disruptive to the, uh, the, the attorney class, that it, you know, we have to be you know uh, thwarted or or slowed down or or stopped, if you will. And um, I guess it's just you know, Colin's turning the barrel, or the 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 group of people that are that are, are the Colin of the world to uh, uh, to to mess with us. So anyway, thank you for giving us some show fodder. Uh, you know, yeah, that, it's fantastic. I mean, it it, it, it helps you know keep keep the uh, agenda on no agenda um, on agenda thirty one <laughs> clean and simple. And speaking of no agenda, you can hear us on the play uh, the playback of this show after the live no agenda show on noagendastream.com. dot uh, You can listen to Curry and Dvorak, which I dare say this week's episode would be extremely insightful regarding the goings on internationally. Uh, with regards to Syria and the uh, uh, pipelines and the bombing and the lack of evidence that Assad actually gassed his own people, and you know what I, Thursday's episode of No Agenda was really good, and 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 this, the the quick macro summary that I think stops people in their tracks, Corey, is Tillerson, the new Secretary of State, purportedly, and I have not seen it with my own eyes or ears, that he asserted we're going to leave Assad alone. Is that an accurate? Do you recall this being I, I, proliferated? I did hear that, yeah, yeah. So okay, all right. And then you know, everyone's aghast. You know, like oh, you know, Trump's not gonna you know be a hawk, and he's not gonna you know make Assad pay. You know, oh gosh. And so so now you know, purportedly you're Assad, and you hear this information that wow, I get to have a clean slate with the Trump administration and Tillerson. Um, I should play nice. And then your first act is to go kill some kids with some sarin gas, and and, and uh, invoke the ire of the world's largest superpower. Right. That, that doesn't compute. Why, why right. would he do that? Why, why, why would he do that? You know, maybe because... Someone in the government's working with the terrorists. So, 
that, that just tune into no agenda to get that whole deconstruction. You can't get any better analysis on these topics. You're going to hear stuff you won't hear anywhere else. And that's because they are not advertiser supported like agenda 31. We're not advertiser friendly. We're not attorney friendly either. And, <laughs> oh, so we encourage we encourage you to check out No Agenda on NoAgendaStream.com. You can listen to them right now. They're on there live. If you're listening to this show, you can turn, tune into that, and you can hear the playback of the show at 2 o'clock Central on the No Agenda stream, and we greatly appreciate that. Um, we, uh, Corey, any other topics you'd like to cover here or any other details? Uh, well, just... There's a ton and could go on for hours about this, but thank you, Colin, for sending that. Um, I I think it it proves our point more if you uh, uh, look at the analogy of of somebody teaching you how to drive a car and they completely eliminate the brake pedal throughout their teaching. That's how this is worded. I'm not saying that Colin is not telling the truth, but purposely missing incredibly important points. Limited perspective. So, let's see here. How about you just challenging you enough to make your case? Yeah. Um, uh, so, and next week we'll go over our supporters, because I don't think you had that prepared, Corey. Uh, no, not prepared yeah. today, but next week will be good. All right, excellent. And uh, let's see, this has been... Uh, is there anything else? We, I've got some inbounds from some people I haven't had a chance to deal with. There's some good stuff coming in from Scott Adams. Uh, I apologize, Scott. I have not gotten to it. Um, aloha to you. Um, he's got some. Have you seen those come in yesterday or two yes, days ago? Yes, I did. I have not had a chance yeah. to go through yeah. those. I'm yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, working on a project that has been quite quite busy, which ends in a few weeks. So okay. I will get caught up on everything soon. But I appreciate Scott sending that. I did see it go through the email, and I've got him starred to go back to him. And we would challenge the Collins of the world. I guess if you're an, if he's a, if he's really an attorney, I guess he's probably been in a courtroom. Maybe I don't know. But have you you know have have you really engaged at all where you live? Do you know any? Oh, by the way, I went to get the grand jury uh, list yesterday. At, oh yeah, at the courthouse, and uh, she it was like three o'clock on a Friday, and I was kind of you know oh they might not even be there, but the gal was there that's the charge of the the juries, and she's like oh I know what you're here for. I said yeah, I'd like to get a copy, and she's like I don't have the uh, addresses and phone numbers put together yet, and uh, I was like oh I mean typically you know that's supposed to be their job. It's supposed to be publicly available. I'm not asking her to do something that's outside of the scope of her job description, but it hadn't been done. So of course, in, until you know the people that come up and pay attention, you know, ask for it. You, um... you, you can't make this up. You, you have to be here to see this kind of stuff. It's, it's. This is what's being allowed because the people are allowing it. The They're people not standing up. The people are not standing up, going to the the courthouse, asking for the list of the grand jurors. So anyway, she says, "I'll have it ready for you in thirty minutes." And I said, "Sure, that'd be great." So I left and I got busy with some. Uh, clients and I couldn't get back there until five o'clock. So I'll go back Monday and get it. But again, you have to be a squeaky wheel. And so I would challenge, you know, those of you that are listening, you know, have you, you know, done anything besides Faceborging? You know, are you getting out there? Are you doing anything to engage local government to be accountable? Even though it's on the federal plantation as we assert, there there's still measures you can take, even as a 14th Amendment citizen, to hold GovCo accountable uh, outside of changing your avatar on Facebook or Twitter. Absolutely. So, all right. Um, I think that, let's see, we've, we've pontificated long enough, Corey. 
Uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in to the lowest risk, highest reward podcast universe. We're going to end this uh, show with a couple songs from uh, the uh, Poster Children, good Illinois band. And uh, please ask yourself, what is your strategy to make a difference? We've been listening to episode 127 of Agenda 31. This is Todd McGreevy and Corey Ide. We'll talk to you next week. and subscribe at Agenda31.org. Okay, guys, let's get out there and make a difference. You know what to do.